You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mr. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Uh, welcome to Heard Tell. It is Friday. May the 27th year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for joining us for Herd Tell. A little bit different show today. As you can see, I'm not in my office. I'm up yonder in West Virginia visiting family. And we're not going to have a guest today. It's just going to be you and me because we got some talking we got to do, folks. And unfortunately, it's a lot of heavy topics, but we got to get through it. Uh, We're going to talk about the issue in Texas, the horrible slaughter of those children in that school. We're going to talk about the gun debate. We're going to talk about the horrible, disturbing stuff we're hearing about the law enforcement and police response to this. We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about the president and the political side of this. There's been a lot of noise about that, about what he can and should and is and is not able to do. We'll get into that. We'll do what we always do. We'll end the program on something of a high note or at least a lighter note and try to get our Friday finished up on something that's not quite as heavy as what we're going to spend most of this, pro- most of this program talking about. We're going to do that as well. We're going to start the program right where we need to start it and where the focus needs to be on the victims of this horrible shooting. This was an elementary school, second, third, and fourth grade by all reports. It means most of these kids were very young. And since most of these were in one classroom, they were almost all the same age, 10 years old. I just want to go through these victims because the human cost of these things starts getting lost as we debate policies and we start to debate politics and we start to debate all the other things involved. We need to remember these names and think about our own children and children that we know. Alexandria Anaya Rubio. This is just going to be hard. I got four daughters. Can we just be real for a second? This school had just had their honor roll ceremony for the end of the year. So a lot of these kids had just gotten certificates or their end of the year prizes or AB honor roll and things like this. Alexandria was one of them. She was on the honor roll ceremony. Alithia Ramirez, 10 years old. Um, She had also just submitted a doodle to Google to try to get on the Google doodle. You know, the ones that pop up. A Mary Jo Garza. 
10 years old. She had just got an AB honor roll that morning. Annabelle Guadalupe Rodriguez, also 10 years old. Aliana Cruz Torres, also 10 years old. She's a softball player. The picture in the media is her in her softball uniform with her eye paint on, with her bat on her shoulder, with a rather uh, saucy look on her face. 10 years old, this girl was killed in the shooting. She was supposed to have a softball game later that very day. Eliana Ellie Garcia, nine years old. She was the second oldest of five girls in her household. Uh, the picture of her, big bow in her hair, basketball jersey on, smiling. Eva Morales. That was one of the teachers. She was 44 years old. Her husband, Ruben Ruiz, is a police officer in the district. He was one of the officers who responded to the shooting and were apparently shot at by the shooter. He was not injured. It's so easy. Morales's aunt said in a message to the Times that she was furious to lose her niece in such a tragic and senseless ways. In a post, Morales's daughter described her mother as the half that makes me whole. In a statement, she said, you know, you are so known by many now and so happy that people know your name and that your beautiful face is yours and they know what a hero looks like. This is her daughter writing. My heart will forever be broken. Irma Garcia was the other teacher. My tia did not make it, John Martinez wrote about his aunt, Irma Garcia, a fourth grade teacher at Rob Elementary School. She sacrificed herself protecting her kids in the classroom. She died a hero. She was loved by many and will be truly missed. And just because the cascading effects of this tragedy isn't bad enough, um, she had been married to 24 years to her husband and was the mother of four kids. While her husband was grieving, he went home, suffered some kind of a medical incident, and passed away himself. They have four children. Jackie Cesares, 10 years old. July Nicole Seguero. And if I'm mispronouncing these names, I apologize. Her mother said, I took her to school, but she didn't want to go that day. She told her father, can I just stay home? I don't know if she knew something was happened or just because it was one of the last days of school. Imagine living with that. Jace Lovanos. 10 years old. Jose Flores, 10 years old. He has a picture from that very morning, from that awards ceremony we were talking about. Probably displaying his honor roll certificate under a Rob 22 banner, the name of the school. Layla Salazar, another kid, pictured sitting and eating and holding up two blue ribbons. She was just a whole lot of fun, Vincent Salazar said, adding that his daughter liked to dance to TikTok videos and singing along with him to Guns N' Roses every morning on the way to school. McKenna Lee Elrod's also 10 years old. Family member posted on Facebook, my heart is shattered and my daughter Chloe loved her so much. Just a few weeks ago, she got a friendship bracelet from her at the ballpark. She wore it every day. She's wearing it today. Maddie Rodriguez, it's with a heavy heart. I come on behalf of my cousin, Anna, who had lost her sweet baby girl, Raquel Silva wrote on Facebook. Our hearts are shattered. 
she's another one of those kids. Same picture, same background. Rob 22 in the background, holding up her certificates that she had gotten just that morning before her life was ended by this wicked act. Miranda Mathis was only 11 years old. Nevia Bravo. Her age isn't listed here, but she would be in that 10 to 11 years range as well. Rogeo Torres. Tess Marie Mata. There's a series of pictures of her, almost all of them with her cat, you know, oodling, doing splits, you know, the stuff little girls do. Uzziah Garcia. A Facebook post family member wrote, he was the type of kid that could get interested in anything in five minutes. He was just a perfect kid as far as I was concerned. We had a tight relationship, me and my grandson, his grandfather wrote, and I don't have him anymore. This is where the grandfather's voice broke. He said, I lost my grandson at the hands of a very evil person. Xavier Lopez was 10 years old. He was funny, never serious, and had a smile. That smile I will never forget. It would always cheer up anyone. Felicia Martinez told the Washington Post about her 10-year-old son. She had watched him get his honor roll certificate just a couple hours before he was killed. I don't have anything clever to say here. These are children. They should be enjoying their summer right now because their school year should be about ended. They should be doing all the things kids do in the summer after finishing up a grade of school at that age. But they're not. We're going to talk about all the surrounding things about this tragedy. We're going to talk about how it's happened before, what we can try to do to prevent it from happening again, how it's probably going to happen again because we don't want to listen to each other. But before we do all that, I just wanted to read the names. I'm going to be real with you. I've been about an hour and a half trying to do this. Even edited it. It's still not easy. So I'm going to take a minute, and then we're going to continue with Herd Tell right after this. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donson. Okay, we are getting really disturbing stuff being reported about the law enforcement response to this shooting. Now, we're going to be covering this in depth as it develops. Um, as always on our program, we slowly come to the realization of what goes on in these things. We don't want to react to the original stories because they're almost always wrong. Now that we're a couple of days from it, we're finding out some very important details. I just want to point out to everybody, I understand the policy arguments. I understand the gun arguments. I understand the violence arguments. I understand when it's kids, it gets everything inflamed anymore. But understand we're getting some very detailed information that changes the scope and shape of this story. So we've already spent a lot of emotional capital, some of us, yelling at each other for the last two days. And now we're getting some other pieces of the puzzle. It's just a reminder that we need to invoke 24-hour, sometimes 48- or 72-hour rules on these things. Don't just smash send at every little thing we see, let these things develop a little bit because the things we're finding out now are truly disturbing, especially about the law enforcement response. I want to take one thing that has gone viral and because it's a viral clip, I wanted to get it in full context because I got very angry at this and I almost lost my own bearing. So I took a minute, slowed down, went and dug into it. Our friends over at Mediate, uh, we've had uh, Sarah Rumpf and folks over there. We use them frequently. Uh, they have the full context. Uh, Department of Public Safety in Texas, Lieutenant Chris Olivares was on with Wolf Blitzer on CNN. You've probably seen this clip on social media. It is absolutely everywhere now. I want to give the full context of this statement, and then I'm going to react to it because I think that's the fair way to do that, especially when I'm going to react as strongly as the way I'm going to react to it. Okay. So, and by the way, this deals with the shooting. So if you have trouble with that, this may not be the segment for you. Wolf Blitzer on CNN, longtime CNN anchor. Uh, again, this is from Mediaite. Blitzer asked his guest if the officer at the scene made the correct choice to wait for backup before they went after the gunman. I want to pause right here. There's still some conflicting reports on how long this thing went. Some reports now say 40 minutes. One uh, Customs and Border Patrol spokesman said it was as much as an hour before that Customs and Border Patrol TAC team actually went in and ended this thing. 40 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, it was way too long and we need a lot of answers. But We'll get into that at another time. Right now, Wolf Blitzer asked his guest, this is uh, Department of Public Safety Lieutenant Chris Oliveras, if they made the correct choice to wait. Oliveras said officers were inside the school pretty quickly and they heard gunfire when they arrived, reading from Mediaite. They called for reinforcements, he said. The officers in the building waited for a special tactical team to show up as they isolated the shooter to one classroom. Remember, there's kids in that classroom. All the children that died and the two teachers were all in one classroom. Don't current. This is Wolf Blitzer's question. Again, you've seen the viral clip. This is the full context. Don't current best practices, don't they call for officers to disable a shooter as quickly as possible, regardless of how many officers are actually on the site, Blitzer asked him. Oliveras said the officers who arrived at the school quickly may have been shot at it had they attempted to take the gunman out alone. He said, this is his full quote. This is not the clipped quote that's going around social media. I want you to read and hear the full quote. Quote, Oliveras. 
the active shooter situation, you want to stop the killing, you want to preserve life, but also one thing that, of course, the American people need to understand, that officers are making entry into this building. They do not know where the gunman is. They are hearing gunshots. They are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they proceed any further, not knowing where the suspect was at, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And that gunman would have had an opportunity to kill the people, other people inside that school. That's the full context of the clip. Now, the viral clip going around is him saying, well, they could have been killed. This spokesman should never be allowed in front of a television camera ever again. Number one. Number two, the mentality here is disturbing. I understand the police have a difficult job. I understand they have a very dangerous job. I understand that we have policemen killed all the time in this country, hundreds of years, if not more. I very much support police. I think we should have very good relationships with our police. But if you support something, you hold it accountable. If you don't hold it accountable, you don't really care about it. I know this is going to sound harsh, but this is the truth of it. Your job was to go in there towards that gunfire. There was innocent children getting shot. And if you stood around for 40 minutes to an hour, as is currently being reported by officials, what in the hell is wrong with you? 40 minutes to an hour with children dying. Well, they could have been shot at. I understand that. It's a difficult job. I understand that. Nobody made them become police officers. Nobody made them hold their right hand up and swear an oath to protect and defend. They cash the paychecks. They take the benefits. They walk around with the badges on their chest and their weapons at their side. They're proud, most of them, of being police officers. If you can't strap it up to go into harm's way, when you know for a fact that innocent children are being slaughtered mere feet away from where you're standing. That's more than a police problem. That's a human being problem. You took all those paychecks to be a public servant, and when they really needed you, you did nothing. We have videos now that we're sorting through to find out which ones are valid and which ones are not. Some people online are go, well, they were outgunned. I don't know. I'm seeing a lot of videos of police standing around outside, tack vests on, rifles in hand, and they're fighting with parents, not fighting with the gunman. There's something very, very broken and wrong in the law enforcement response to this event. I think some enterprising reporters should probably look into the local police of this department because I don't think this happens in a vacuum. This sort of incompetence and cowardice comes from somewhere, and I suspect it's going to come to light that there was problems within this law enforcement community, whether it was in Uvalde or in the other local and reporting agencies that showed up. All credit to the Customs and Border Patrol TAC team that took the shooter down. It's not their fault it took them a while to get there. This should have already been handled. But especially if these videos come out to be true, that they were fighting, that these police officers were fighting with the parents, even cuffing the parents, resisting them from going in because they were not going in to do anything. There is going to be absolute hell to pay. And this is going to hurt and damage law enforcement in ways that no protest and no buzzwords and nothing that we've ever seen in years before has. 
this is going to be some truly ugly stuff. And I'll go right back to what I said before. Don't throw the you don't support police crap at me. They put their hand up in the air. They swore an oath. They took all the paychecks. They cashed the benefits. They need to do the job. And if you can't do the job, take the badge off, turn the gun in, and go do something else. We have militarized our police in this country for decades now, and they brag about it. And we need to talk about police reform and criminal justice reform. All those things are true. But if you can't strap it up and save some kids' lives, even if it means going into harm's way yourself, you're in the wrong job. And not only are you in the wrong job, you're getting people killed. Go do something else. What you ought to do if you had a lick of integrity, cops that stood around outside doing nothing, whoever ordered them to stand around and do nothing. I want all those names. I don't know if we'll ever get them, but I want those names because those people need to be held to accountability. Not only should you resign in shame, you should return all the money you earned by saying you were going to protect your community. It was taken under false pretenses because you didn't. When we really needed a good guy with a gun, you stood around with your gun and did absolutely nothing until somebody else went and did it for you. Live with it if you can. More Hurtel right after this. Welcome back to Hurtel. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Okay, everybody's freaking out over monkeypox, the latest disease. They go viral in the news media and everybody's losing their minds over it. So let's go to who we've relied to throughout the COVID pandemic, our friend Michael Siegel. The most appearances on the Hurtel program because he's just that darn smart. He's writing in Ordinary Times. His usual Thursday throughput science feature leads off about the monkeypox. So I'll read from that. Our friend Michael Siegel here. So monkeypox. Are we about to go back to the lockdown? Do we need to live in terror? Is this the beginning of the Planet of the Apes collapse of human society? Nah. So here's the story on monkeypox. This is Michael Siegel writing in Ordinary-Times.com. This piece will be linked in the show notes. It is a DNA orthopox virus. That's the family that includes things like smallpox. Endemic to Africa, it occasionally flares up when people come into contact with infected animals or infected animal meat. It is somewhat contagious in humans, but requires close contact to spread. There are two different strains, one with a 10% fatality rate and one with a 1% fatality rate. Know which one I would prefer. But those are for the untreated monkeypox. When the less dangerous one broke out in the United States in 2003, at least 70 people were infected, but no one died. No one. Monkeypox has long been considered a candidate for an incident with exercises run within the last decade simulating a monkeypox outbreak. The current outbreak has seen over 300 cases in 21 countries all over the globe. What's more, most of the cases did not involve exposure to animals or meat. It seems to be spreading in communities. While it's not clear where the outbreak began, it does seem to be hitting gay male communities, at least initially, which indicates that this is being spread by sexual encounters which can produce the kind of close personal contact needed to spread the disease. The good news is that monkeypox 
is running into a public health community already on a war footing. We detected the outbreak early and are doing contact tracing. There is talk of doing ring immunizations using either smallpox vaccines, which is about 85% effective on monkeypox, or a new monkeypox vaccine. We have already gotten genomic sequencing, which is an amazingly fast timescale, and this does not appear to be a new strand. In short, this is something to keep an eye on, but it's not another COVID-19. It is something we have studied for years. It has far less infectious, and more importantly, it lacks COVID-19's talent for making people infectious before they know they're sick. Even in the worst-case scenarios, we already have a massive group of people that have a high resistance, those old enough to have been vaccinated against smallpox. I've got one of those. I got the nice big circle scar up here where they did the port pitchfork thing back in my military days. And we have not one but two vaccines ready to go for the rest of us. However, this is a reminder that we need to keep our guard up. COVID-19 is not the last viral challenge we will face. The world is, the world is not flat. And increasingly, human population and the global warming may drive future outbreaks. If you like, we are entering a state of cold war against a disease that will occasionally flare up into hot wars like the COVID-19 outbreak. Now is not the time to relax. It's the time to be more vigilant. Michael Siegel turning down the noise on the monkeypox viral stories. Just be cautious. Be aware. Keep yourself informed. Don't panic. It's not going to be that bad, especially as long as you don't eat infected meat or have close encounters with somebody infected. A lot of common sense stops a lot of virus, something we should have learned but didn't over the last few years. More Herd Tell right after this. Okay, welcome back to Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Uh, I did some newspaper writing. Uh, I, I believe in local media. I've been working on a partnership with local media in my native West Virginia. Local media matters. Uh, and I partnered with the Fayette Tribune to write a piece that I'm rather proud of. And I wanted to share it with you because it made me feel good to write it. The aftermath uh, was positive. The subject uh, got something tangible out of it. And I want to share that piece with you now. It's in the Fayette Tribune. That's Fayette County, uh, West Virginia. Uh, FayetteTribune.com. We'll also link it in the show notes. The title is Laboring Under the Nobody Wants to Work Narrative. It's written by me. Sometimes we hear things over and over again until they become the general consensus by repetition more than merit. Common knowledge truthisms take the jagged edges between the moving tectonic plates of societal change and try to explain the grinding and shaking with the simplest possible explanations. Often, there are explanations without the full thought or reasoning. The way the ancients attributed the sun to the sun god or the moon to the moon god and everything else to miscellaneous unknowable something-somethings that control such things. Economic upheaval is a complicated subject of much debate. So it is no wonder that when business after business hang out help-wanted signs coupled with endless news stories of labor shortages, there are going to be some factual shortcuts to get to the explanations down to a soundbite. That soundbite of late is nobody wants to work, and it is spread until it is recited as part of our current cultural and political catechism. It was just over a year ago that a fast food joint put at the sign out, we are short-staffed, please be patient with the staff that did show up, 
nobody wants to work, which showed up on a TikTok, which quickly went viral, causing many copycats and became ingrained as the truth. Nobody wants to work just sounds right, easily putting the blame on nobody, the first cousin of the always popular them when it comes to assessing blame, lazy, entitled, deadbeats. The list of invective goes on from there. Think pieces, deep dives, podcasts, and specials follow drinking deep from the draft of nobody wants to work to apply broadly to whatever demographic needed conjoled or blamed. Thousands of them. But this is not one of them. This is the story of someone who does work and works hard and not only deserves to be recognized for it, but praised as an example for countless others who do the same. Or, at least in proportion to the press, nobody is getting as of late for not working. Someone who is not trying to make a statement or change a narrative, but just putting in their work as best they can, the way it was supposed to be done, just getting on with it. The folks in towns like Golly Bridge, West Virginia, are veterans are getting on with it. The 600-odd residents still living on the side of the hills, not taking up by the mountain, the rivers, or the railroad, or of those who call adjacent Scrabble Creek home have had to adjust to plenty. The loss of jobs and industry that plagues many places, but the Canal River Valley especially. The Faro Alloy Planet Alloy, just down the river, once employed thousands, now barely pays out a few hundred. The surrounding mines and supporting industry that came and went and finally disappeared altogether. The town itself lost population, then it lost its high school, and now it's facing losing its elementary school, too. Unemployment is much higher than the national average, and those that do work average 31 minutes to drive to get there. But nobody wants to work is an easier slogan from folks from other places than the nuances and trauma of slowly losing chunks of your town in a region that is demographically bleeding to death in a state that's used to things being extracted with only stereotypes and lazy analysis like nobody wants to work left for the folks behind. So when checking to see if Gino's Pizza and Spaghetti House in Golly Bridge would be open for an after-church lunch and the ubiquitous where hiring comes right up, could have been a foreshadowing to another round of eating out with subpar service. After all, at a restaurant with linen tablecloths and everything the day before, short staffing from the previous evening's large party for a wedding or some such was the proffered reason for slow service, a list of things that were on the menu but weren't available, being out of lettuce because of that said party was a particularly interesting antidote. Not particularly well-prepared food and an overall meh experience, despite the server who was working really hard, scurrying, apologizing, trying their best to get on with it, in a hard-to-impossible situation that they were set up to fail. Such service industry employees are trying to work, but too often are saddled with hard-to-impossible tasks that have much of them wondering if their wages are worth the effort at all, which then gets them lumped into nobody wants to work, instead of the more understandable and universal, I just want better. So you could be forgiven then for skepticism at Geno's, especially since the unchanged double side out front still advertised the once twin Tudor's biscuit world that years ago moved downriver onto its own building, a separate place that had built as a Wendy's that survived for about five minutes before it closed. One wonders if that was a nobody wants to work situation or just the average run of the mill incompetence to run a notoriously hard to run and thin margin pursuit like a chain restaurant. Thus Geno's it became, and expectations of a lifetime of patronage was met immediately. For the uninitiated, Gino's Pizza and Spaghetti has been a staple in southern West Virginia for decades, often paired with the aforementioned Tudor's Biscuit World that handles breakfast duties before switching over for the day. The Golly Bridge version is a classic pizza joint. You order at the counter, you sit at booster tables where your order is brought to you. There's even a Miss Pac-Man game, as God intended every real pizzeria to have. And there's only one employee working. 
not only working, but working well, crisp, polite, effective service, bouncing from phone to computer to screen to tables to the back, lather, rinse, repeat. After ordering, it was a pleasure to behold the old instincts of having been a manager and leader. I'm sitting there thinking, this is exactly the kind of employee you want to have. Phone ringing off the hook, but dealt with. A lady comes in to pick up an order of pizzas too high to get it under the COVID-19 mandated plexiglass, and it required two trips. Handled. A few more guests come in and sit down, and they are told they will be served directly as our drinks and appetizer are brought out. There's a beautiful ballet to the efficient work of someone zoned into the task at hand and doing it well, problem solving on the fly, handling customer service of just getting on with it. The food comes and it's exactly what it should be. Gino's is far from hot cuisine and the dedicated pizza snobs or pasta perfectionists would no doubt find fault. But in my lifetime, I've had far more good meals than not there. One employee pulled a dozen directions, putting their work in and not after too long of a wait, got the food right. Could have been pictures for the menu. Exactly what was expected as ordered after not too long of a wait. Food made with the most important ingredient of any job, of any employment, of any work. A large portion of give a damn. Personal integrity or a desire to do well or wanting to keep their job or whatever the motivation was, the job was not just done, but done well. Done when there were a thousand excuses not to and probably the ability to go viral for making a fuss about it if they didn't. Eating and enjoying, fellowshipping with the family as I was, resting for a moment before continuing on what was going to be a very long day, all made far more enjoyable by having witnessed this, having been well served, having been treated well. One employee busting out pizzas and publishes and spaghetti on a Sunday afternoon, laying bare the lazy lie of nobody wants to work, not with a think piece or a viral video, but with the irrefutable evidence of honest labor. Of course, there are those who do not want to work for a variety of reasons, and there are those who take advantage of the system not to work. West Virginia, like everywhere else, has their fair share of those. But as it isn't everyone, it's not even the majority. And just because the common knowledge and general consensus shouts nobody wants to work in our media outlets doesn't mean we shouldn't push back when we see the steady, everyday rhythm of those who do work, who do their best, who toil, who labor, and make a living as best they can. The seemingly endless number of media platforms should spend some more time on those folks, on how to improve their lives and opportunities and avenues for taking their want to and applying it to the sound policies that improve them, their families, and our communities. That's a more useful expenditure of our efforts instead of furthering the nobody wants to work on the nameless, faceless them who are always quick to be blamed but never pay the price for anything. That price is always paid by those who do work, usually without much complaint because they ain't got time for that. For those of us who do have the ability to write or talk or elevate stories, a well-made after-church lunch at the Golly Bridge Genos would be a good reminder whenever stories of labor shortages roll across our social media timelines or on the news crawls on TV, that one employee taking care of dozens of customers is a worthy thing to praise. As we cleaned our own tables and took our remains to the counter, our small part to help someone who was already doing enough, and made sure the payment was handled and a temp went and a tip went directly into the hands that provided the service, there's just one thing I had to know before departing. What's your name? Jeremy White, sir, was the reply. And as I said to him, as we should all say to those who work, whether noticed or not, instead of constantly complaining about those that won't, well done. I was very proud to publish that. FayetteTribune.com, we'll link it in the show notes. Full back page of the paper. Very proud to write on stories like this. More Hertel right after this.
Uh, welcome back to her. Tell Andrew Donaldson. Okay, let's talk a little politics here. Uh, president Biden's the president. Now, we talk all the time on this program. The president gets too much blame. The president gets too much credit. That's just the gig. That's part of being in the chair. Interestingly enough, I was on uh, talk TV over in the UK on Tuesday night. They wanted a live perspective on some of these issues. And one of the questions that the UK host asked me, uh, Daisy McAndrews, very sharp lady, follow her. She does a great program over there. She directly asked me, what did I think President Joe Biden's response was going to be? And I told her the truth. This is one of his signature issues. Senator Biden, of course, talks a lot now that he's President Biden about when he passed the assault weapons ban back in 1994 that expired in 2004. He's constantly talking about that. He brags about it. He's been a gun control guy for all of his career in public service, pretty much. You remember his famous shotgun comments during the vice presidential debates years and years ago. And I told her, I was like, I suspect we won't get 24 hours without him uttering the words assault weapons banned and so on and so forth. And I was right a couple hours after that interview because of the time differences, uh, President Biden came out. So he's again pushing for all this stuff. However, let's go to the Politico because, and this is just an example of some of the stuff getting said. There's lots worse on social media, but people just lose their minds and forget what reality is. Headline, he can't just be the eulogizer in chief. That's in quotes. Frustration grows over Biden's Texas response. I just want to read you the first little bit of this. This was written by uh, Christopher Caldego and L Laura Barone Lopez uh, from the Politico. In the roughly 48 hours since yet another mass shooting, President Joe Biden has deliberately tried to stay out of the legislative and political scrum. He's refused to chastise Republicans explicitly for standing in the way of passing new gun laws and has given no outward indication of the type of bill he'd like to see pushed. Instead, he's allowed Senate Democrats to set the tone of the public debate while he offers comfort to the families of victims and explores his options. The approach has left some in the advocacy world. Hold on to that word. We're going to come right back to that in a second. World nervous and wondering why the most powerful man in the country isn't adequately using the bully pulpit in such an emotionally wrought issue. He cannot be just the eulogizer-in-chief. He also needs to put the full force of his office into the legislative process. Otherwise, it would seem to be like he's lost hope, said Peter Ambler, executive director for the gun safety group Giffords. That's Gabrielle Giffords, you know, the congresswoman that was shot uh, and uh, disabled for life. Um, that's her uh, advocacy group. Uh, she is also, by the way, the wife of sitting U.S. Senator Mark Kelly, who's running for reelection out in Arizona. I think he can have an impact if and the whole White House swing into action. White House aides and some close allies say the current posture won't likely change soon. Publicly injecting himself into the delicate gun control negotiations in the Senate could backfire since few across Washington expect such talks to seriously advance, they argue. So could taking matters into his own hands by immediately issuing executive actions to crack down, which risks sending the Republican lawmakers otherwise open the negotiations back to their corners. Plus, it would be challenged in court. People close to the talks related to Politico. For now, the White House is prioritizing the confirmation of Steve Dettelback. It's nominee to lead the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. By the way, uh, over at the Reload, our friend Stephen Kukowski's site, uh, there's a reason they're still trying to get an ATF uh, nominee. You can go read on all that on your spare time. Uh, according to people who've spoken to the White House in the days since the New York and Texas shooting on Wednesday, Biden urged the Senate to confirm Dettelbach without delay, without excuses, and put a permanent director atop the ATF for the first time in seven years. Um, and while he's urged Congress to move on gun laws 
asking why the country is willing to live with mass shootings, Biden has framed the issue as a collective responsibility rather than one he can substantially address with the power of the executive. The president's absolutely right. He cannot unilaterally deal with this with the power of the executive. Now, the call President Biden soft on gun control is absolutely ludicrous. He is the politician. If you're one of those people that advocate for assault weapons ban, he's the guy that got you one. So saying that he's soft or not doing enough is just kind of ridiculous and not fair criticism of Joe Biden. I don't particularly agree with him on this issue, but the man's been consistent. He's been a big advocate of gun control. You folks on the advocacy, I love that term, the advocacy people. Okay, you folks in the advocacy people want a unicorn here. You have a president whose approval ratings are in the 30s. You have a 50-50 Senate, and you have a House of Representatives in which every single one of them are running for re-election, and especially the Democrats are running in what looks like it's going to be a red wave election year, and a lot of them are going to lose their seats. What do you want them to do exactly? Oh, you want those fiery speeches on the floor of the Senate. Oh, inflamed speeches. He gave a fiery response in the well of the Senate. You know what? My social media is full of flowery and fiery speeches. Anybody can do that. That and 495 will get you a caramel macchiato. It's not doing anything. It's just fluff. Now, if you really want to try to do something legislatively, there's a way to do that, but you're not going to like it. It's not. It doesn't trend well. You go into negotiations with people and you do the hard work of trying to legislate. Now, even squishy people on Second Amendment things, from their point of view, I'm, mind you, is what I'm saying here. Like Joe Manchin, looks like he's a little open to at least discussing certain things. But if you do what you're advocating the president to do, that'll all stop. Now, I don't think anything's passing anyway. This is an election year. It's a midterm election year. You're not getting gun legislation this year. It's not going to happen. They might be able to get something that has some bipartisan support, like some kind of a red flag uh, situation. But even that would probably be fraud in this current environment. Advocacy people don't want to live in the real world on stuff like this. The president is probably making the right political call, and he's correctly reading the room. So give the guy a little bit of a break. If he's on your team, you say you're on his side. I don't know why you're beating him up over this. He can't make unicorns show up to save you on every little policy issue. It's frustrating when people don't understand that politics have to be between the rails of reality. Even if you advocate for certain things, even if you're passionately advocating on it, please have a little perspective on what is and isn't possible, especially in a time of crisis like this when passions are high, because then you start otherizing the other side for not being as passionate as you are. And then you start with some really ridiculous rhetoric about who has whose blood on their hands and this sort of thing. These are politicians. They're going to do politician things. Don't expect saintly stuff out of them. But we can't expect them to do their jobs. We can also not make their jobs any harder than they also have to be. I bang on our Congress critters all the time. But asking them to do the impossible just because you're upset online, advocacy people, that's not fair. More Herd Tell right after this.
Welcome back to Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Okay, and now for something completely different, as the old Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon would say, because God knows we need to talk about something different for a minute. Uh, you know I love history. You should, too. History's amazing. History is this great thing where you not only get perspective on the future by looking backwards, but you also have all these mysteries you get to try to solve. Well, they've had a mystery over in England, Hadrian's Wall. Uh, of course, the famous wall built by the Romans. Uh, it's even part of some of the old King Arthur legends, depending on how you want to go with it. Well, they were working on Hadrian's Wall, and they found this big stone intricately carved. It had symbols on it. It has words on it. So they decided to try to decipher this. Now, they figured it was some kind of a graffiti. It didn't look like an official sort of thing. So they've been working hard to translate this. Of course, you know, it's in Latin, and it's been there for a couple thousand years. So it's a little hard to tell what this thing is. So anyway, let's go to the BBC and find out what happened on Hadrian's Wall. Uh, by the way, a little bit of a adult content warning here. We're going to try to talk around certain things, but the BBC gets to use words on air that we're not allowed to. Thanks, FCC. Uh, so a little bit of a warning here. Historians were left blushing when they deciphered ancient Roman graffiti carved into stone near Hadrian's Wall. The insulting comment inscribed more than 1,700 years ago, was unearthed near Hexham, Northumberland. Uh, if you watch Down Abbey, keep going north from there. That's Northumberland. Uh, it features words written about someone called Secundinius beside an image of a phallus, typically used as a Roman symbol of good luck and fertility. You don't know what that is. You know what? Don't Google it. Bad things will happen. Just maybe look it up in the dictionary. Back to the piece. However, experts believe its true meaning would have been left the subject, quote, less than amused. Roman epigraphy specialists recognized the message, found that the Roman site of Vindolanda, I don't think I'm saying that right, but whatever, they're all dead, as a mingled version of the words secudinius cacator, which translates into English, secudinius, the S-worder as in the thing you do in the bathroom. They believe the phallic image alongside was added to, quote, to the force of the written insult. The stone, which is about 40 centimeters wide and 15 centimeters tall, was found by Dylan Herbert, a retired biochemist from South Wales. He made the discovery on 19 May towards the end of his second week volunteering on excavations. I'd been removing a lot of rubble all week, and to be honest, this stone had been getting in my way. I was glad when I was told I could take it out of the trench. It looked from the back like all the others, very ordinary stone, but when we turned it over, I was startled to see the very clear letters and the very clear graffiti. Only after we removed the mud did I realize the full extent of what I'd uncovered, and I was absolutely delighted. There's a picture of Dylan Herbert. If you're picturing a retired biochemist from Wales, you're probably guessing exactly what Dylan Herbert looks like. He's grinning. He's happy. He's on top of Hadrian's wall. God bless him. Man's living his best life. Dr. Andrew Burley director of the excavations and chief executive of the Vindolanda Trust, said a direct message from the past was always a great event. This one, quote, really raised our eyebrows. I don't know, maybe because it was vulgar, as Mr. Carson would say. Its author clearly had a big problem with Secudinius and was confident enough to announce their thoughts publicly on stone. They literally carved it in stone. I have no doubt that Secudinius would have been less than amused to see this when he was wandering around the site 1,700 years ago. Experts believe that each carefully carved letter, which would have taken a while to do, left little doubt to the depth of the feeling held by the scribe. A total of 13 phallus carvings have been found at the site near Hexham. 
more than any other location along Hadrian's Wall, which stretches across the north of England from Wall's End to the River Tyne in the east, Bounus on Solway in the west. No idea why we have a conflagration of flayless graffiti of Roman origin on Hadrian's Wall, but these are the times we live in. And that'll do it for her to tell this special Friday edition. A little bit different today, a lot of heavy topics. Been a tough week. Uh, so we hope you will take time this weekend, spend time with those that you love the most, that you care about. Spend a little extra time telling them what they mean to you. Just do good things with good folks this weekend. We'll be back here Monday with more Heard Tell, twice on Sunday show on our radio partner, The Big Talker Live. You can also get that program on all the podcasting platforms. There's no video to that. It's every single interview from the week that was. Plus, we might have some extra clips because of the way we did this show today. Make sure you check out twice on Sunday. Make sure you're subscribing, however you're watching or listening. And if you'll do us a favor, take that extra click and share us with your friends, family, and followers. You want to contact us directly, hurtellshow at gmail.com. Or you can always get us on the Twitter at hurtellshow. Of course, my Twitter handle, for for the Fire, you can get a hold of me that way. We would love to hear from you. Make sure you're following our guests. We appreciate you all so very much. We continue to have audience growth. As long as you keep listening, we'll keep doing it. Turning down the noise of the news cycle as best we can so that we can understand and discern these very troubling times we find ourselves living in. But we're going to go forward and hope, folks. So wherever you and yours are, across street or around the world, we hope you are well. We hope you are well fed. And we'll talk to you again next time for more Hurtel. All the music on Hurtel is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.